This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Design may not be political. Is there a Republican sofa or a Democratic table lamp? But politics can certainly affect the design industry. And that has been particularly true in Washington, D.C., where government and politics are so central to the city's very existence. Traditionally, every four or six years, depending on wins and losses, there would be a flurry of design activity when a new administration came into power and senators, congressmen, ambassadors moved in and out. Houses were bought and sold, offices changed hands, and designers were brought in to freshen everything up. The town was culturally conservative, perhaps even a bit staid, and design tended toward the traditional and safe. But like so many D.C. norms, all of those have been tossed out the window. Today, I'm lucky to have with us two talented young designers based in the D.C. area to talk about what it's like to work in the city today. First up is Marika Meyer, who founded her firm in 2007 and has since become recognized for her warm, richly detailed traditional rooms that are infused with color and pattern often by means of her own graphic textiles and rugs, which are sold on her website and in showrooms around the country. Welcome, Marika. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. We're pleased that you're here. I'm also happy to have with us Kayanda Powell, who creates youthful and colorful residences and commercial projects and mix mid-century pieces with lush textures and boldly graphic textiles and artworks. Hello, Kayanda. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted you're both here. This podcast came about because Marika was telling me how busy she'd been this year. And I grew up reading always about different elections. I used to read Sally Quinn's articles in the Washington Post, and she would talk about who was in and out, who was being hired to decorate, which new ambassadors were coming, a new administration and all that. And it was all very elegant and whatever. And one of the things that I believed was that before an election year, People didn't know what was going to happen, so design died. And now I understand that's reverse. So, Marika, why don't you tell us a little about that, what it's been like this year? Yes, absolutely. Well, this year has been so unusual for an election year, and I guess just for all years, 2020 will go down in the record books. Having worked in the industry for almost 20 years and being a native Washingtonian and knowing the the pattern and the rhythm to elections in this city pretty well, we historically always plan for election years knowing that really around March and April, things traditionally just die down. Projects kind of go on hold. This is true for decoration as well as construction projects that we've historically been working on in 08 and 12, 16. So we plan for that in advance and we work strategically to line up the right kind of projects to take us through those election years. This year... It's sort of the slow season. Exactly. And largely that's, we try to sign as many long-term construction projects as we can the year going into an election year, because we know that that construction will be ongoing regardless of what is happening based on elections. And last year in particular, we were anticipating that there would be a market correction because it's been some time since we've had a, a true market correction. And so last year, we really aggressively were planning for both the election and what we thought would be a market correction to position ourselves well going into this election year. And then COVID happened and all the rules of Washington kind of went out, <laughs> went out the window. And it has been a very unusual year. I would say that January 
through March were were busy as we would have anticipated. COVID hit and it was very quiet, April and May, and I'd say the beginning part of June. And then right around the time I guess school went out or really school probably for for us it really ended it, it felt like in March. People were jumping into projects. I mean at a pace that it's hard to explain. And that just continued to increase through July, August, um September we're still seeing it um and October, which is just incredibly unusual given the last three election cycles that we've been through. And I mentioned this to you, I think one of the things that I found most interesting is that it's not just us, it's all of my colleagues that I'm speaking to. It's the vendors at the design center, our local antique stores, our contractors, our painters, our architects. And I mentioned to you, I went to this stone fabricator to select a Virginia Mist stone. And he said that they had run out of stone. They actually ran out of stone. That's how busy they were. He said in 35 years, this has never happened. Um, And the fact that it's happening in an election year makes it that much more unusual. So I think it's wonderful. I'm so thrilled for our industry. It's wonderful that we're all this busy, especially everything that's going on. So I feel really grateful and thankful that it's happening. But it is a quandary. Yeah, now you got to get it done. Kayanda, have you felt the same thing? I mean, you have not, I think, been in business quite as long. What has it been like for you? Have you noticed a difference? Definitely have noticed a difference. And I agree. My business is probably almost three years old, but I've been in the industry for about 17, going on 18 years now. And, and I've pretty much worked in the D.C. metropolitan area for that entire time. I would say that a lot of projects that I had in the past were mostly hospitality. And so the ebbs and flows of election years did not necessarily affect the work that I did. And I would say the same is true now. However, Marika hit the nail on the head, but COVID, COVID came and kind of shook everything up. And so what I've experienced has been more of people are home and they're tired of being home and experiencing it as it was because they were just kind of moving throughout the space. And now they're, they're having to stare at those walls. They're having to figure out how to make the space work for them. They're homeschooling or whatever it is. And so now there is this influx of, we have to get some things done around the house. And I would say probably the same timeline for me. It was, well, for me, it was a little bit slower at the top of the year. And then probably April, May, things started to pick up with interest for sure. Interesting. But do both of you think this is more COVID related or, but how is that going to affect that traditional thing where, I mean, there could be many new senators, new Congress people coming in. Were people still investing in their homes, even though they weren't necessarily sure that they were going to be in government service in the next year? So I can speak to some of our projects. I know that we have some clients who are tied with the administration and who would consider making moves. And I think Kayanda's point about how families are living in these spaces, that there's an urgency that we're seeing. So a few of our clients who would potentially either move out of the area or take on another job, which might change what their home would look like, there is this incredible urgency to readdress their home, both I think for functional and aesthetic needs that, especially when they're young children who are being homeschooled. I have two young boys at home myself and I know it's priority number one is figuring out how to make this doable for a family. 
my library is now second grade and my dining room is fifth grade. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot different um, what, what we need in the dining room uh, right. <laughs> for fifth grade. Right. And so I think that that's part of it. I think that that urgency. And then I think also to Kayanda's other point, people are staring at these walls. You know, there's just a certain amount of tension and annoyance that you can have of staring at a wall and not doing something about it. I think that people also are not spending a lot of money on travel, on eating out, on entertainment. And they think, you know what? It might just be for six months. It might be for a year. I need to do something. I need to do something to feel positive. So even though they felt that guillotine might be hanging over their head come January 1st or whatever, they still wanted to go ahead. Absolutely. There are definitely some immediate needs, I would say, like, you know, in talking about how to make the space function. So even if it was coming up with solutions that were temporary, but felt homey, like it could last with them for a little bit and they could maybe take it wherever they're going. Maybe that plays into it. But also I wanted to point out the outdoor space was something that definitely right. people... I, that's been true, I think, across yeah. the country. But espe- well, especially D.C. has a pretty moderate climate, at least yeah. compared to the Yeah, East especially health. with not doing the traveling, like Marika right. said, so for sure. Kayanda, you had mentioned hospitality. You've done a lot of work in hospitality. Now, one of the things about D.C. is it is, in many ways, a company town. And I think a lot of work, behind-the-scenes work, got done in restaurants or at diplomatic receptions, meeting places, bars coffee. But now that's, I mean, that's slowly coming back, but it's been basically six months that that wasn't even a possibility. Do you think that had an effect on how the city has operated and its mood? I'm pretty sure it has. I know the the restaurant industry is suffering across the country or globe. So I don't know that there are many of those backroom bar scenarios happening right now, but they definitely were in the past when things were booming. So it'll be interesting too, especially now that the weather will be changing soon, how they then go into maneuvering around that. Because a lot of people have been wanting to sit outside, but I'm very curious about that myself. Um, I can't even say for sure, but I'm sure there's been a lot of change there. Like in New York City, I know they've a lot of the restaurants have been allowed to expand into the street and make little shelters. Is that happening in D.C. as well? Absolutely. Good, good. Mm -hmm. Jan, you'll have a more moderate temperature. I always thought of as D.C., when I have experienced it, it's a city that loves to entertain, but then it would quiet down at like 11 o'clock. By 11 o'clock, you know, the streets were kind of dead. Is that still the case, do you think? I mean, it seemed in a way more home-centered in terms of its entertaining. Are people still entertaining at home, do you think? Are your clients entertaining at home, Marika? Our clients are not entertaining in their homes. Outside, they absolutely are. And I've been joking with some of our clients as we go in and everybody's doing these big renovations and these changes. And I said, it's almost like in the old days where people would send their kids to summer camp and then go and have work done. And then, you know, and then everybody would come out of summer hiding and they would they would be like, oh, everyone looks so fresh. So I think it's going to be the, the same thing about everybody's houses. Everybody's going to go back into each other's houses and be like, oh, looks so fabulous and updated. So I think it'll be interesting this winter because so many people here have been comfortable socializing outside, whether it is in restaurants, in backyards, getting together for hikes or in parks and things like that. I do think it's going to be a challenging winter as people are pushed indoors. So we'll see. I would think it means that the continuation of people wanting to improve their homes, that that will continue and expand. Do you think that's true, Kayanda? 
I absolutely do. And it even just brings to mind how to make it feel more safe when entertaining too, whether it's, you know, how we decontaminate or socially distance, but still come together and be social during the holidays. It's like one of the most social times of the year. Um, So it's going to be a very difficult time and season to see how that goes. If people... The holidays. Right. People want to be safe, but people still need to kind of feed off of the energy of others and and have the, the people time. So... I wanted to get a little into the aesthetics of the city because both of you are experts on that. And I've been to D.C. many times. I've been in beautiful homes. But it seemed to me always, and you know, I always think of the movie about the Washington Post with Meryl Streep as Catherine Graham and her beautiful caftans and that, that kind of very elegant, traditional American home with brown furniture, which I happen to love, but brown furniture and Oriental carpets and all that. But clearly that's not a look that either one of you does in a straightforward way. I think, Marika, maybe you have a little bit more traditional than Kayanda, but it's different. I'd love to get a sense of how your clients, what your clients come to you looking for. Is there any value to that old aesthetic of DC or do they just not disregard it at all? What do they come to you looking for? Why don't we start with you, Marika? So it's interesting. The change that I've seen over, I'd say, the last 10 years, when I first started my own business, I had one client come to me and say, I want the little black dress of living rooms. And I thought that summarized DC perfectly. She said, I want it beautiful. I want it well-appointed, but I don't want anybody to remember anything about it. (laughs) And I thought... (laughs) No controversy. Enough controversy in politics. We don't want it at home. Right. I thought that was so interesting. And I think that really did summarize a lot of what we saw traditionally and historically in Washington, where nobody really wanted to draw that much attention. They didn't want to make that bold of a statement. We saw that in fashion for decades as well. And I would say over the last five to 10 years, that's changed dramatically. And I think that now people are really much more likely to see their home as a form of self-expression. And I think that you know, we were seeing that pre-COVID and certainly we see that in our clients because we, I love color. I love pattern. I love mixing vintage pieces. I unapologetically traditional. Um, I, you know, I don't think that it has to be a bad thing to say that you're traditional. And so we get clients who are interested in pattern and in color. But I will say in COVID, it's been fascinating because more clients who I've worked with over the years, and perhaps we've done something again, more conservative in the past in COVID, they're like, I love purple. Let's do purple. You know, I love ICAP. Let's go for it. And a little more daring, a little, they're more willing to take a risk. They're more daring. They're more willing to take a risk. And I think it's because they feel that they're doing it for themselves rather than for other people, at least in this moment. And perhaps that is to your point about the transitional nature of Washington, right? If they, if they are doing something and they happen to move, this is a perfect time to experiment and do something bolder. Um, But we are definitely seeing that with the, with the new clients that we've had come in, in COVID, just willing to do bold. And it's been a blast. We're having so much fun. Oh, great. Now, Kayanda, I don't think anyone would describe your work as a little black dress. I think it's elegant and chic, but it's very colorful and youthful. So who are your clients and why? Clearly, they come to you because they don't want to have the little Givenchy black dress. They want something different. So who are your clients? Are they? Do you think it's a different generation? Is it 
Definitely. I feel like I'm not a millennial, but I feel like I attract a lot of millennials. You look like a millennial. I, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I do feel like the work is very youthful and, and whimsical in some way. And, and very much like Marika, I love color and pattern. It's just kind of my jam. But I do think that there are clients who are looking for those pieces that maybe take on a more traditional form and they want to mix it in with something that's a little bit more modern and edgy because it's a conversation piece or maybe it's something that, you know, is a family piece that's been passed down or they found it on Cherish or what have you. So, you know, it's there's a lot of that, a lot of the mixing and matching of things and creating a space that really has personality and soul, which is what I love to do. So definitely. So are most of your clients kind of, would you say they work in government or they work in businesses around government? Uh, There are a lot of entrepreneurs kind of, I would say some in government, some in nonprofit, like it kind of runs the gamut, uh, but I wouldn't say it's heavily government. Which is because, I mean, I I, listen, I'm not, I don't live in D.C. I'm an outsider. I've been to D.C., as I said, several times. But, you know, you always read about D.C. and you read about the government. But it is a city that is a very vital and, and, you know, active city. So it's interesting that these are different kind of clients that come to you. Marika, how about your clients? What percentage would you say work in government or related to government as opposed to different media? Or... I'd say probably about 20 to 30% are either, if they're not with government, they're with some of the government contractors. They are tied to firms, law firms, or communication firms that are related to what's happening in the government. So it is, to your point, an industry town, whether or not people are actually working in the administration or for the federal government, a lot of the work here is related to that. But I will say that we also do have a number of clients who are in real estate, who are in creative fields. And I think that a lot of that has changed. Again, I think that has changed over the last 15 years or so. We've seen many people move to Washington who are not related to government. And that that never used to happen. Um, growing up here, it really was just company town and law firms. <laughs> and, that, and that was it. A company town. Absolutely. Right, right. So it's much more diverse and I would think it's more energetic than it used to be as well. Do you find that your clients, do you have to push them or are they are they willing to go along? You know, because I always feel that the best design projects come when you and, you know, the designer and the client collaborate and they each push back a little and back and forth and this, let me think about this and whatever, but when they're involved. And I'd love to know from each of you, is that the case with most of your clients or are there... Other clients who just say, just do this for me and leave me alone. You know, I don't want to be involved until I move in and bring my toothbrush. So why don't we start with you, sure. Kayanda? I mean, there are definitely those who prefer to, as I like to say, just keep up with the Joneses and kind of re- relate back to that little black dress scenario in a sense where they just kind of want to keep it just even. And, you know, we make fun of that, but that's a very good thing for the design industry. You know, that gets a lot of work out of that. You know, keep up with the... You know, I would say people, most people want what their neighbors have, but just a little bit better. Yes, yes. (laughs) But definitely, I am one to push my clients, but not too much. I'm not trying to push them over the edge, just enough. Yeah, you don't want to push them away. (laughs) Right, just... Just enough to pique the imagination a little bit more and and kind of expand on uh, whatever that idea is. And it's a very collaborative process for me. I really try to just hone in and listen to what they're looking to achieve and then find my way to put a stamp or curate that experience for them. 
Okay. And Marika, what about you? So collaboration is, I think, the number one ingredient for success for a project where it makes a the process a lot more enjoyable. I think that when clients are involved and they start to geek out on conversations about, especially around, I think, vintage pieces, we, right before I hopped on this, I was emailing with a client about some bookcases on Cherish that I think they're about to buy. And right? they, shouldn't they? <laughs> I know they're mid-century, they're brass and walnut, they're fabulous. But it's that fun kind of dialogue and giving somebody that confidence to maybe purchase something that otherwise they wouldn't. But also, I think to Kayana's point, making sure that you're you don't want to go so far off the comfort scale that when you go to install everything, they look at it and it doesn't feel true to them. I always tell clients at the end of the day, this is your home and I want it to be reflective of you, not of me. And so I think that it is really listening, getting a very good feel and understanding for where you can push them, but that it won't feel like such a departure from their personal aesthetic that it, it feels like somebody came in and over-decorated for them. So I think collaboration is, it's also just the most fun. When you see clients get excited, and you get to have these fun conversations. It's a really nice way to develop a relationship with a client. Well, you challenge them, but they can also challenge you, which is really a fun part of it. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I am the co-founder and president of Cherish. Professional designers are invited to join the Cherish trade program to access special benefits like net pricing, and a special trade-only customer service hotline. New this year, we're also introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We do hope you'll join us, and in order to do so, please visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's spelled C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. And now back to the show. Now, I'm going to bring up a sort of a dreaded word here, but I'd love to get your take on it, which is trends. In New York City, there are definitely been design trends. And and as part of the media, I have been guilty of foisting trends on people or suggesting trends on people. I don't voice it. You voiced. I just suggest you voice. But it's and like like I'd love to get a sense of like what are the hot neighborhoods in DC now? I mean, it used to be like George when I'm Georgetown or whatever, where young people are like in when I first came to New York, no one wanted to go to Brooklyn. Do you know that was like bridge and tunnel? Now Brooklyn is much hotter than Manhattan and it's that whole industrial chic thing that's come out of Brooklyn and that look that's been so mixed with mid-century, that whole thing has been so important to design in New York City. Is there a similar attitude or similar trends in DC? Are there areas that are hot where young people want to be? What are they looking for? What do you see next on the horizon in terms of that? Why don't we start with you, Kayanda? Oh, definitely. The Shaw neighborhood. The Shaw neighborhood is probably very trendy and hot and hip right now for a lot of the younger people who are coming into the city. I used to work in Shaw. So there's always something to do. New bars, new restaurants, art galleries. The art scene, I think, is is definitely been something that has really boomed here over the years. So they have like uh, in Blagden Alley, like you can walk the alleys and see all the different murals and stuff. And then Powwow DC comes and they kind of sprinkle the city with other murals and art, public art, which has been beautiful. Where else? Noma is kind of, there's a lot of building going on in that area. A lot more art too, specifically that we were talking about the public art. Those are some of the areas that stand out to me. Maybe in areas that I would kind of frequent 
when I was going out too. (laughs) (laughs) Marika, what about you? I would say Noma, definitely. That seems to be a very popular area. Shaw, it's just a great area. I think that there's such a draw, um, walkability, city living, but in a smaller town, so it feels accessible. It's funny, I was talking with a realtor a few months ago, and he said he never thought that they would come, that you can't give away real estate in Georgetown. And that was such a draw. That's like Manhattan, Upper East Side, used to be the hot place to live. Now, no one wants to live there. You just No one young wants to live there, that's for sure. It's so funny. Isn't it? It's really interesting. I will say though, one another like historical area, Capitol Hill. That's still we still get tons of young people moving to Capitol Hill and renovating and updating some of the old historic homes there. So it's interesting that Capitol Hill is getting a lot of young people, and Georgetown, it's just crickets. That's so funny. Now, let's say uh, you have a client that comes to you who just got an apartment in the Shaw neighborhood and they were kind of, what do they want from you? What's the look that they're going for? Kayanda, why don't you tell us? Just kind of hip, uh, modern, probably nothing too feminine. So there's more like masculine pieces that I'm noticing too. Clean lines, uh, walnuts in terms of woods, but just very clean. Very sleek. No more shabby chic. No shabby chic, but very open too. So not a lot of clutter. And how about your clients, Marika? Your younger clients, what are they coming that you think is going to be influential? It's interesting. We've also seen the pendulum shift from those when blush and... Uh, you know, powder blue, you know, millennial blue or pink, whatever it was a few years ago, we've seen that shift to more masculine. Definitely people referencing mid-century again. We saw a lull in mid-century for a few years. Oh, that's interesting. And now yes, that did. seems to be back. And I do think that it is the kind of counterpoint to those softer, um, more feminine colors. There seems a little bit stronger, even for we have a few single um, single women that we're doing apartments for. And it really is. It's, it definitely is those stronger features, whether it's metals, walnuts, black, white, higher contrast. Deeper colors, have you seen? Because in New York, there's a lot of deep. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a huge shift to deeper colors. We're seeing aubergines, rusts, teals, purples having such a moment right now. It's insane. And so we are really seeing seeing that. And I think all of that's very comfortable also. I think that there's something that's very comforting and very grounding about all of that. And we do see it paired with the request for traditional pieces. And I think that that's the nature of our design. But a lot of vintage pieces, we've also spent a lot of time working with our clients through COVID, talking, uh, having conversations about supply chain issues. And that when we're dealing with a vintage piece, there is no supply chain, usually. It's a piece that we can guarantee that you know is going to be there. It's also nice. No 16-week delivery time. Exactly. You're not worried about the factory having a COVID outbreak. I also, our firm has really pivoted to be green. You know, we're, we're really focusing on green endeavors and sustainability. And that... L- shopping local, right? Um, Thinking, really thinking creatively about what vintage means. So for us, that's something that's a drop. You know, my house, outside of my two sofas and two side tables, everything else in my house is a vintage piece. So it speaks to like my personal aesthetic. And so it's fun to be able to- Or you made it yourself, like your fabrics. That's true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That that is true. I can relate to that too, Marika. I feel like most of my stuff is definitely- vintage. And it also feels like the mid-century modern pieces are almost like the gateway drug to vintage land. You know what I mean? Like it's like the introduction to people getting into collecting those pieces. 
I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's accessible. It's beautifully designed. You're a little bit familiar with it, but there's so many aspects of mid-century that people don't know so that you can go beyond the basics. I think that's really important. Now, what's the situation like, Marika, you had mentioned your stone guy. What is it in terms of like craftsmen and artisans? What's the scene like in D.C.? Is, is there a lot of talent there? I mean, I don't think there's enough talent in craftsmanship. And I think we'd always use more of it. And I'm not sure our culture respects craftsmanship and artisans as much as it should anywhere. But I'd love to know what your take is on what it's like in D.C. in terms of finding specialized craftsmen. So, you know, it's interesting. I think that DC used to have a lot of craftspeople and tradespeople who were very specialized. And then the 08 recession just wiped out so many people. And we saw a lot of those shops close where you could, you know, you could go up to Kensington and get a chair recaned. You could have mirror antiques, you, anything that you needed, you could find somebody who could do it. And with the cost of living in Washington, with a lot of the development that we're talking about, Noma and Shaw and all these neighborhoods that have really been developed, I personally haven't seen a a lot of those craftspeople come back to Washington. Now that said, there are a lot of people doing beautiful work in Tacoma Park, Baltimore, in Howard County, Ellicott City. So you have to go further out. We're finding that we have to go a little further out. You know, there's a great artist community that's right up off Rhode Island Avenue, kind of the name is escaping me right now. You might know what I'm talking about with where there's some great glass blowers and metal workers. Oh, the pyramid, maybe. Yeah, yes. Yes, that's it. (laughs) Um, there's, yes, there's a wonderful sculptor up there. Um, and so there are people, but I, I think they're harder to find. That's been our experience, but we really do love trying to find those people. Again, as a designer, I think part of our value proposition is finding unique pieces, one of a kind pieces. And so the more that we can do one of a kind work or commission pieces, I think that the end user is much more happy with that. And Kayanda, have you felt a similar thing in terms of locating craftspeople? Exactly. And I feel like a lot of times we're getting online to kind of do some of that initial legwork and it's hard to find them because maybe there's not a website or it's up to date or what have you. So then it becomes a word of mouth and you're just kind of asking around to see, well, who have you used that you're into lately? But I definitely agree. I mean, it's it's really hard to, I guess, maintain space here in the city. And so definitely having to venture out to find them is, is has been the the way to go. You know, we're, this city is going through a really hard time because of the pandemic, obviously. But I do think that one of the benefits eventually will be that because so many retail spaces have closed, so many stores have closed, I think there will be a, re- a reduction in rents and both residential and commercial rents that I hope it means that a new generation of creative people will be able to, to come into the city or come back. And maybe do you think that's possible for DC as well? I mean, I think that there's the possibility. I think that there's also this shift where so many people who were working in hospitality or other industries that just are not thriving and possibly might not survive this. There are a huge number of people out there and a lot of them are creatives, right? There are people who have passions and I might be too optimistic, but perhaps this is that moment where they can pivot and look at what was a hobby or something that they enjoyed could turn into a business. I think that as designers locally, part of our responsibility, given that we are thriving and that we are busy, is really finding those people and trying to support other small businesses. That's our 
responsibility in this right now. And we've really been trying to focus on looking to the small businesses to support them. Right. I don't want to go out just because I'm go out to eat just because I'm sick of cooking. No, I want to go out to support the restaurants. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I, to be serious, I think it's very good. Kayanda, I'm sorry, what were you just saying? No, I was just saying we want them to be around on the other end the other side of this. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to support them through this. Yeah. I'd love to get a sense from each of you looking in your cloudy crystal balls, how you think this election is going to affect the city itself and the design industry. Do you think it's going to, well, you tell me, why don't we start with you, Marika? What do you think, or what do you hope is going to happen? You don't have to name names or candidates or anything, just... Um, I don't want to jinx anything. Um. <laughs> yeah, don't. I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to, you know, jinx anything. But just you get a sense of hope coming. I really do think that, well, for example, with the Obama administration, that change in administration, largely, I think we can credit for the restaurant revolution that we saw. So many people being drawn to the city in such a point of excitement. The Those eight, 10 years just of growth and passion, the arts, theater, everything that started happening in the city was so exciting. I think being in Washington in that period of time, there was a level of excitement. There was a level of, of, of buzz. You could just go out. You could go for a stroll. You could go for a walk. You could see great art. You could have a craft cocktail. You could stay at a restaurant past 11 p.m., 10, 30, you know, 10.30. And it was really exciting, right? And so I think that it would be really wonderful if we had that opportunity again, where there was new and revived energy in our city coming out of what is going to be a long winter, we know that with COVID. So I'm optimistic that there are some exciting new opportunities and some rebirth and growth for our city. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Kaya, did you feel the same? Are you feeling optimistic? I want to feel optimistic. You I'm want little... to, but you don't necessarily <laughs> there yet. <laughs> well, we'll I can just relate. wait it out and see. But if I, I really do hope that that is what we see, because it was a really exciting time and a lot of beautiful, beautiful things just came from that in the city. And it was just very enjoyable. So I do miss that. I know COVID is kind of put a smack down on, on a lot everything. of it but even before then it's it's felt different so and you know I, again it's it's going to be a new normal not the old normal but i think i'm with you guys i think that clearly new york too but dc particularly is affected by the federal government and what comes down in the attitude of the federal government and whether that's inclusiveness or division whatever that motive you know comes it's going to have an effect on everybody even if you try not to so i'm with you guys let's hope there's new energy and new optimism coming in the city i do think that whichever party wins or whatever has a majority that this need for beautiful homes is going to continue. And I think that your industry, you guys in particular, but your industry and all your vendors and your artisans are going to do well. And that's one lesson from COVID that I think people are taken to heart and really represent. But at the same time, I want to go to restaurants. I want to go to beautifully designed restaurants that you've designed, Kayanda. I want to go to fun spots. I want to go to bars. I want to have aspiring actors and actresses serving me. You know, I want them to be, have an outlet for their work. And I want you guys to really continue on and have lots of clients for your beautiful textiles, Marika, and lots of people coming to you for these hot neighborhoods, Kayanda Design, great apartments for them. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think we have to live optimistically. And um, I think that DC and design are deeply intertwined more so than ever. And I think that what you guys are doing is going to help make the city a really great place to live. And I want to thank you 
so much for taking part in the Cherish podcast. Thanks for listening to the Cherish podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time.